When I told a friend of mine that I was mulling over this particular gospel reading earlier this week, his response was concise. Wow, what a dumpster fire. (laughs) This one is a doozy. And not just because Jesus seems pretty fired up, but also because it is a text that has been used to justify some awfully hurtful ends for a long, long time. That is part of what we are given to wrestle with, not just the text itself, but the inheritance that comes with it and the corporate memory that surrounds it. Yes, it is a challenging text, which can be good. Where it gets problematic is the ways it has been used to hurt people. One key way this text has been twisted to inflict pain has been by using it in support of what's called supersessionism, the damaging idea that Christianity came as a superior, triumphant improvement over Judaism. These sayings of Jesus in today's gospel are sometimes referred to as the antitheses, which is to suggest that Jesus was teaching something over and against what had long been held as the law. It's a perspective that has been used to antagonize Jews, making their practices out to be simplistic, insufficient, and antithetical to the Christian faith. The second way this text has been used as a tool to shame and exclude people, to hurt people, has been against those who have been divorced. Our church was part of this painful tradition for a long time, and in some ways, it still is. For centuries, the church did not allow divorce, and then later refused remarriage for people who had been divorced. And most particularly, the church denied communion to those who had been divorced for a long, long time. These practices have changed, but slowly and remarkably recently. It was only in 1973 that the Episcopal Church stopped excommunicating people who had been divorced and eased also the rules to make remarriage easier after divorce. And... These changes did not suddenly do away with the shaming and exclusion of people who were divorced. This, disgracefully, is part of our heritage. The problem with all this, though, with the inheritance of anti-Semitism and with the exclusion of divorced people, all attributed to this text, is that neither stance holds up when we place it in the context of Jesus' teaching and work. This is necessary in interpreting any of his teachings. We have to unpack them in the light of the whole of his life, not just focusing in on a single verse here or there, 
alone. All throughout his teaching and preaching, and especially in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is clear that he has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Again and again, the Matthaean Jesus shows the ways that he is intent on living out his Jewish faith. He does not teach that Judaism is wrong, rather that it is a holy way to live and come close to God. Given that consistency, this text must be leading us somewhere else. And similarly, when we consider what Jesus might be pointing to with respect to divorce, we have to consider the fact that he does everything he can to spend time with those who are hurting, those who are in need, those who have been cast out. Jesus goes to the vulnerable, to those who need protection, to those who have been consistently disrespected by the community. Jesus brings healing and nourishment to those who are hurting and hungry. He brings protection and agency to those who have been diminished by the world. We need to keep all that in mind and bring it alongside what divorce meant in his day. Women did not have economic independence then. They relied on men, father, brother, eventually husband, to provide for them financially because they were excluded from paying work. If a husband divorced his wife, another man would not remarry her. This meant that divorce left women destitute, cast out, and incredibly vulnerable. In his commentary on what Deuteronomy says about divorce, I believe Jesus is teaching that no one is disposable, that our responsibility above all else is to do right by the vulnerable, to reconcile where possible and to do right by one another, providing for the life and health of all people, but especially of those with greater need. On a practical level, this can look pretty different today than it did 2,000 years ago. And I believe that Jesus' teaching holds. But it's about the spirit and the intent of the teaching far more than it is about the concrete requirements or prohibitions on how we live out these relationships today. What I hear in this passage then is not the unwavering charge that all people should stay married no matter what. I recognize how painful divorce can be and agree that it should never be taken lightly. And as the daughter of divorced parents, as the sister and friend and pastor to many wonderful and faithful folks who have ultimately decided to get divorced, I recognize that sometimes it's what needs to happen. I believe what Jesus is really doing here is calling us to reach for reconciliation insofar as it is safe to do so and to honor all the people in our lives 
with respect and dignity, with protection for the vulnerable, whether marriages continue or not. Reconciliation takes many forms, and it is up to us to discern its shape in our own lives. It's also critical to acknowledge, I think, that this reconciliation does not just belong between individuals, but is the work of whole communities, of whole institutions like the church. In this passage, our our translation comes through a little ambiguously with the recipient of what Jesus is teaching named simply as you. English falls short here, and in our individualistic society, we tend to hear his words as being directed at each of us, separately, as individual people. But most of the time, the you he is addressing is plural, (laughs) y'all. He's speaking to all of us, collectively, This work of coming back together with concern and tenderness and humility, this work of repairing the breach, it rests with all of us as a body. And so in the hopes of stepping in that direction, I want to address these wounds head on. If you or someone you love has been hurt through the anti-Semitism justified by this gospel, I am sorry. And, and I'm guessing this may touch many more of us. Friends, if you or the people you love have been hurt by the church or shamed by the church or made to feel less than whole by the church because of divorce, I am sorry. If you or the people you love were denied the blessing of remarriage or were refused at this holy table because of divorce, I am so sorry. To the extent that I can speak on behalf of the church, I apologize. We were wrong and you have never deserved anything but love. We are called to reconcile. That is, to behold the humanity in one another and seek good for each other. We're called to give of ourselves in support of the vulnerable. We're called to repair the breach and do it in such a way that all may live and live well. There is no simple, one-size-fits-all map for this reconciliation. We have to discern it, practice it, pray our way into it, all of us. We're called to reconcile as individuals, yes, and we're called to this work as a whole body, as the church. May this work begin with each of us and with all of us today.